Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Welcome to Dan's Talks. My guest today is Carolyn Maloney, who for a long time Congresswoman for New York City, frequent visitor to the Hamptons, and I'm sure you must know of her. And uh, she's recently returned from Washington. She's no longer in office as of last November, after 30 years. Uh, we'll maybe talk a little bit about that, but much more important is uh, what was going on there. And uh, now you're back home in New York. What, what was the occasion for you to be down in Washington? Well, we had in, in the uh, Judiciary Committee in the Senate, the first hearing on the Equal Rights Amendment in 30, 40 years, in 40 years. And uh, Durbin called this hearing. Uh, Leader Schumer has promised us a vote. And with the Dobbs decision, rolling back a woman's right to choose and other efforts to roll back women's rights, uh, it's important more than ever to have women's uh, rights in the Constitution. We are just one vote away of having enough majority to pass it. We'd have to have a vote on the filibuster and make sure that there's a carve out that you only need 51 votes, not 60. And that's what we're working on. We're working on finally after a hundred years. Uh, and it was first introduced uh, shortly after women's gained suffrage in 1923. It was introduced in New York in Seneca Falls in the Presbyterian Church. And this is the hundredth anniversary. I remember reading uh, thoughts of Alice Paul, but after she introduced it, she said, if we don't work very hard, we'll be back here in 50 years and still not have passed it. Well, now it's been a hundred years. So I hope that this year will be the term <laughs> and we can finally ratify it in the constitution. We've well, met all the requirements of the constitution of article five, uh, a two thirds vote in the house in the Senate and 38 states have ratified it. And that's enough to make this happen. But now there's all this mishigas, if I might use yeah, that. Nothing's easy. <laughs> Everybody and, thinks we're passing bills right and left in Congress. It's very difficult. Uh, I have great respect for what I call that fragile flower of, consist of, 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 of compromise, of uh, consensus that can actually uh, gain enough votes to pass the United States Congress. Let me uh, talk with you a little bit about uh, how you came to become interested in politics. I know that's a long story, but you grew up in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, and you went to college there. And uh, then what happened? Well, I came to New York to visit a friend and just fell in love with the city. The energy, the excitement, the people, uh, the diversity, the challenges. The uh, New York is a very unique place. Uh, no one cares who you are, where you came from. They just want to know what can you do? Can you make uh, the city better? Can you help people? Can you make things happen? It's a very accepting, wonderful place. And, and we even have the distinction of living longer 
than than other uh, other people and other states and other cities. Uh, some people think it's our healthcare system. Other people think it's uh, that we walk so much. Uh, I personally <laughs> think it's because we're all too busy to die. There's so much happening. It's hard to sleep in New York because you know something exciting is happening very nearby. And you better get up and uh, go and be part of it. Well, you started out, I think one of your first jobs was as a, an aide in the uh, New York City count, uh, government. What was that about? And one of, one of my first one? jobs was well, like, I, was a, I was a teacher. I was a teacher in East Harlem. The program lost its money. I became a lobbyist for the program, was very successful at it. And I, I got uh, successful in refunding the program, but I could see the power of government. And I truly believe that if you care about education, if you care about the environment, healthcare, you can do more from government than any other place. A legislator who cares about education uh, has more power in funding and setting uh, standards than the chancellor of New York City. Uh, government has a tremendous impact uh, and can be a tremendous impact to help people. I saw the what? tremendous uh, power of government and I decided to be a, a, go into government. I went into government and ended up working for two speakers and the democratic leader of the state Senate before I ran for the New York City Council. And which you, you uh, were on for- Right, exactly for 10 years. years. And then in uh, 1993, you ran successfully to be the uh, Congress person in Washington. Republican named Bill Green. And I he outspent me four to one. It was called the biggest upset in the nation. And I, I, I ran, I announced on the day of the Casey decision, which was uh, chipping away at a woman's right to choose, setting restrictions on it. We were down at the at City Hall awaiting the decision. Uh, I was there with the great Bella Abzug, Geraldine Ferraro, and a lot of other female elected officials and appointed officials, and everyone was furious. I decided I was going to run for Congress. I also ran that uh, that under the years that Green was in office, uh, he had been part of a Republican majority in Congress that had cut aid to the city of New York by over 75%. So while I was on the city council, you could see the importance of the federal governments. It was hard to do anything in terms of education uh, transportation, healthcare without a federal role. And we were just cutting because the money from federal government had been cut. And I ran to reverse that. Who needs a congressman who votes against the financial interests of our city? So I defeated him on that theme. What were some of the key uh, legislation when you were in Congress that benefited uh, the city? Well, I'd say that I, I brought over $10 billion in infrastructure money I built the Second Avenue subway, which was the largest infrastructure project, not New York City, not New York State, but the entire country and completed the first phase of it. Day one, it moved 300,000 people. We just opened up the LIRR. That was a $4 billion project in federal money that uh, connected uh, the LIRR into Grand Central. We just opened that up last week and uh, working uh, with the team to make uh, sure that we got the funding for it. Uh, I brought the money back for the Kosciusko Bridge that connected uh, the Brooklyn and Queens areas of my district and the L train that connected uh, Brooklyn with Manhattan and many other infrastructure projects and really the connection between 63rd Street and, and Queens, the so-called Queens connector. Uh, these were all projects that I worked on. 
but I also authored and passed uh, well over 80 bills, 12 of which were signed into law in presidential bill signings, which are reserved for consequential uh, historic legislation. Most recently, I authored and passed a bill to modernize, save, restructure the Postal Service to move it into the 21st century on a stronger financial and, 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 and uh, productive uh, standing. Uh, but also the 9-11 Health and Compensation Bill, which uh, was a, an entitlement program that brought uh, health care and support to our heroes and heroines of 9-11 and uh, very involved in recovery for 9-11. The Debbie Smith uh, uh, Anti-Rape Bill, it's been called the most important anti-rape bill in, in history. And just, and even I'm going next week up for, uh, I'm now on the board of the Women's Museum I authored trying to pass the Equal Rights Amendment, uh, a bill to put women on the mall uh, because I was walking around trying to think of some things we could build and work together in a bipartisan way that would build support for, for not only the Women's Museum, but the Equal Rights Amendment. I thought it would be an easy bill to pass. It took me 20 years to pass it. <laughs> but we now are building the first and only museum in the country. We have sliver museums like the museum in Seneca Falls for the first meeting of women's rights and a, a museum in uh, Washington, which is uh, dedicated to female artists. I call them sliver museums, but this will be a Smithsonian, which be a comprehensive, a comprehensive museum looking at science and education and politics and government, all aspects of how women have worked with men to contribute to this country. I'm excited about it, and I know it would not have passed or not have, would not have happened if I hadn't authored and passed the legislation. How has the federal government operation changed in the 30 years? And what I'm particularly referring to is what used to be called cordiality, and what are the reasons for its demise? Well, it used to be that uh, compromise was what you strove for. Now it's a, a word that people don't respect. And it, it used to be the Republicans could start out here, the Democrats here, you'd have a public debate and keep the both, best ideas of both sides and come up with an agreement that uh, moves the, the legislation forward, moves the project forward, help the country. Now too often when you start out here, no one moves. It stays right there in gridlock. And that's not helpful to the country or to people. It's become incredibly partisan, far more partisan uh, than it was when, when I first started. I wonder why. Um, it seems to me that um, when you have this sort of 50-50 split in government in the three different parts of it, nobody, you're, you're fighting for just a little one more vote here and one more vote there and it becomes very frustrating, I should think. It is very, very uh, frustrating. I, I think one thing that really uh, was very harmful to the country, uh, it used to be that news was neutral. And, and then under Reagan, they, uh, they stopped that doctrine. It used to require uh, major news outlets to tell both sides. So the, the press was historically very neutral and would try to tell both sides of an argument, like uh, Walter Cronkite comes to mind, who was a great uh, commentator. 
And then they, it was called the Fairness Doctrine. It required both sides. And under Reagan, they took the Fairness Doctrine away and you didn't have to tell both sides. So now you have, uh, you have Fox News that really caters to Republicans. You have, NBC, you have CNN and uh, MSNBC that caters to Democrats. And you're not hearing both sides. It's very polarizing. They're not required now to give an honest assessment on both sides. So it's just a partisan. You can turn on Fox News and you know what they're going to say. You, you can turn on other news outlets and you know what they're going to say. And it's more it's more a political reporting than true factual. And I think that that has not helped the discourse or understanding of the nation. It's been very divisive. Why did that fall by the wayside, that two sides? That was one of the programs that, uh, that Reagan uh, introduced and, and took away the fairness doctrine. He had the votes, as you know, they had a majority in the House and the, and the Senate, and they were able to do whatever they wanted to. Of course, uh, we put in bills all the time to restore the fairness doctrine, but we've never had the votes to make that happen. I think another thing that's happened that has been very harmful to our democracy is that we have now independent expenditures where you can create a pack and no one knows who gives to it. They don't even know how much you spend and they can just attack someone relentlessly. So no one running for office knows who's coming after them or how much they're spending in, in the process of it. Talk a bit about the organization you just, I know you've created since uh, you uh, left Congress. Well, when I went to Congress, Dan, I had 10 things I wanted to accomplish, uh, such as building the Second Avenue subway and, and the Esplanade down the East River. And I like infrastructure projects. It's, a, it's lasting, it's economic development, it's good jobs. But I accomplished practically everything I wanted to do, except the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. And a lot of the time that I've been in Congress, I've spent my time on the defense, basically trying to hold on to what we have as they tried to roll back Title VII, equality of treatment and employment, and Title IX, equality of treatment and education, the so-called Title IX that was so helpful for women in sports. Uh, so a lot of my time has been spent trying to hold on to our gains. If women were in the constitution and were really treated equally and fairly, you wouldn't have to do that. They wouldn't be able to do that. And uh, with the Dobbs decision, it became even more stark, the, the attack on women's rights, basically. I would say if a, a woman can't make decisions about her basic health care some of which is even life-threatening. Uh, pregnancy is a very uh, difficult uh, period and sometimes there are babies that are inconsistent with life and are threatening really the mother's life. And, uh, and it's uh, a lot of complicated uh, decisions that need to be made between a woman and her doctor. And they are, have taken that right away from 33 million American women. Uh, so I, I, I felt that it was very important to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment so I went to some of my friends that were leaders in the women's movement and asked them to create an organization that was completely and totally uh, centered and, and directed towards women's rights and, and, and ratifying the Equal Rights Amendment. 
We now have over 283 organizations and we are working very hard to, to have what we call regular order. Regular order is uh, hearings and uh, meetings on issues and hopefully they go to the floor and if they pass, they can be ratified. We have a, a resolution that is before Congress that would remove the time limit that we believe was unfairly imposed on the Equal Rights Amendment. And it would also be a sense of Congress in support of it, which uh, President Biden has called for. And he uh, supports uh, uh, the, the Equal Rights Amendment. So this organization is totally focused on it. So I'm now the chairman of the board of, of part of this organization. We call it the, the Equal Rights Coalition Fund for, for Equality for Women. And so I'm working on that. And also I was just chair, voted chair of now the National Organization of Women, which is a, another organization that's very helpful to women. And I, I love the infrastructure, so I can't get away from that. I'm working with a group. We're trying to build high-speed rail between New York and Boston. Nothing would grow the economy more than high-speed rail between these two great economic centers. So those are some of the projects that I'm working for now. That are even more important were, than any were, of the bills I passed in Congress. I read that you were arrested last July. Can you tell <laughs> about that? Oh gosh, when when the Dobbs decision came down, uh, we um, we organized, meaning the Women's Caucus, a demonstration, and so we were just de demonstrating in front of the Supreme Court, and and uh, the police officers came and asked us to leave and we said, we're not leaving. And so they arrested us. So it was a peaceful demonstration. Did you uh, get, uh, uh, you were taken down to a police station and stuff like that or any? Well, we were, we were booked and then we had to go and pay a fine. And uh, you know, it was, uh, they didn't put us in jail, but they booked us. <laughs> As for talk about the Hamptons a little bit, that's primarily uh, there in Palm Beach are the places where Dan's papers is uh, read most. And uh, what is what do you feel is the attraction of coming out to uh, our uh, the, the the Hamptons? Is something that you enjoy? Well, I would call it paradise. It's absolute paradise, close to. Uh, the one of the greatest cities in the world, if not the greatest city, that is a huge urban establishment. Yet you go out to the Hamptons and you're in another world. Uh, it has some of the most pristine, beautiful beaches and clean air and so many interesting people to talk to and events to go to. You can find dance paper everywhere in the Hamptons, <laughs> in every restaurant, every home. Dan's papers are named after yours truly, and, and that is a treat too. But it's, uh, it's a paradise so close to uh, one of the great cities and great metropolitan areas in the world. Yet then you're, you're in a, a paradise with fields and green space and clean air and beautiful skies and beautiful people. It's, a, it's wonderful to have it so close. Thank you for being on the podcast. Um... And I want to wish you the best and uh, hope to see you soon. And uh, thanks for being on. Well, I've always read your paper. So it's a real honor for me to be having a conversation with you. And I look forward to seeing you in the Hamptons. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.